County citizens an opportunity to watch and review our scheduled public sessions. To comply with the governor's proclamation declaring a state of emergency in Maryland to minimize the person-to-person -person spread of COVID-19, we suggest that citizens stay home and watch the county commissioner's meeting live on our QAC website at www.qac.org live or on QAC TV's television channel, Atlantic Broadband Channel 7, and now also in high definition on Channel 507. To maintain social distancing, seating will be limited to accommodate guidelines. We are screening all meeting participants prior to entering the building. If you have any respiratory symptoms, such as fever, cough, and or shortness of breath, please refrain from attending the meeting and notify a healthcare provider. We acknowledge your participation and by attending, you acknowledge that this session is both recorded and aired. The scheduled public agenda is available on the information table just outside of our meeting room. Present public comment will be taken and is limited to three minutes per person. If you care to speak, you must sign the information sh uh, sheet on the table outside. Comments longer than three minutes can be submitted in writing for the commissioner's review. Citizens may also join the live Zoom meeting by going to www.qac.org slash public comment or you may email comments to publiccomment at qac.org. We will accept comments up until the end of the meeting. Comments received will be read during the present public comment period at the end of this, this evening's agenda. During the meeting, we would ask that you turn off all electronic devices and hold personal conversations outside of our meeting room. We will now stand and be led in the Pledge of Allegiance by Commission President Chris Corcorino. Pledge of Allegiance to the flag in the United States of America, and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. I have a moment of silence. Two things here. The first is for uh, John Chu, who some of the people out there might not know, but he is, I guess as many would recommend, remember him as, sort of the father of the modern EMS system here in Queen Anne's County, who passed away just a few days ago. Um, and then also a moment of silence for our country in general that we can find some time to heal. Thank you. Yeah, two nights ago, Scott called me in tears. John Chu. And I've been on the phone with you the last Okay, we just held a closed session under Section 3-305B3 of the General Provisions Article to consult with counsel. No decisions were made in our closed session. And next we can uh, go to our approval of our agenda. Today's agenda for our meeting January 12th and the regular and closed session minutes from your December 8th meeting, along with the Sanitary Commission meeting minutes from December 8th were distributed electronically for review. Had, had Are there any additions and or corrections? Yes, I'd like to uh, make the addition of desk item number, or action desk item number 12 to the agenda. His father was Admiral Chu, too, commanded the fleet during the war. Okay. Make a motion to approve the agenda and the minutes. As amended. Second. Okay, I've got a motion to approve as amended and a second. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. Okay, motion passes. Motion approved, all right, thank you. All right, commissioners, that brings us to our first uh, press and public comment section. And I will read this, if we have anybody here. But thank you for taking the time to express your views to the county commissioners during this public comment period. Comments are limited to three minutes in length. Comments longer than three minutes can be submitted in writing. When you come forward, please speak clearly at the standing microphone. State your name, address, and topic of interest. 
keeping with the dignity of the office, we ask that all views be expressed in a respectful and civil manner. The commission respects your desire and right to convey your message freely. We ask as a courtesy to the board and our citizens that you respect the commissioner's request and refrain from name calling and naming citizens when offering any critique. No one signed up. Okay, we, uh, we do have some people on Zoom and a couple emails. Okay, all right. So we're gonna go over to Zoom first where we have uh, Benty Cooney waiting. I'm gonna ask you to uh, unmute please. What's the name? Uh, Benty, I believe, Cooney, if I'm saying that correctly. Hi, thank you for joining us. Am I allowed to speak now? Yes. Well, thank you. Yeah, I would just like to uh, draw your attention to a, um, I submitted some comments earlier, and I'd like to speak on the issue of single-use uh, plastic. My name is Benta Cooney. I'm the founder of Plastic Free QAC, a nonprofit that's been around for three years now. And we're concerned about all the litter that we find on the streets uh, in our beautiful county. And our goal is to inspire Queen Anne's County residents and businesses to reduce their use of single-use plastic. And right now there's a legislation in the House, um, in the uh, Maryland legislature, and there's gonna be a hearing on the 28th of January in the House. And so we uh, wanna encourage um, the commissioners to um, speak in favor uh, when you talk to our legislators uh, from our District 36 and to other thought leaders to really encourage them to support this kind of effort because we have done some research. We've picked up, first of all, we've picked up more than a thousand plastic bags off the road. More than half of them is actually uh, the farmer, um, Lowry's farm right across Safeway and he very much supports this legislation to get rid of all these bags. And so there's 90 other retailers in Queen Anne's County that we have surveyed that include farmers, marinas, hotels, schools, shops, and restaurants. And also, secondly, we have done an audit of our four grocery stores and sat for one hour, two times, and counted all of these shoppers and found that only 8% of the shoppers use reusable shopping bags. And so um, we, we did this, of course, before the COVID, but now we have, uh, we understand that the Centers for Disease Control, uh, they do not discourage uh, using, um, there's no science that shows that it transmits the virus. So we went back to the uh, four uh, um, uh, grocery stores and two of them say, yes, um, you can certainly use them, but you have to just stuff your own bags, which is fine. And the two uh, food lines say, no, we don't care. We'll stuff them for you. So um, the, we just want to say that, that many legislators now across the country are beginning to look at this. Uh, we need to get rid of these uh, plastic bags. So there's uh, eight states that have passed it. Uh, Delaware just started theirs here in January. And 500 locations in the U.S., including Chestertown, have banned these plastic bags. So I just want to ask you to take a look at the comments that I submitted earlier that has all the, the statistics and everything else. And thank you so much for allowing me to speak to you today. Thank you. Thank you. Great. Thank you very much. Okay. And we also have an email. Our email comes from Mike Norris. Does Queens County have a plan for vaccinating in accordance with the priorities outlined by the state Maryland guidelines and how will individuals be notified when they are eligible to be vaccinated? 
Okay, and that's all we have tonight. All right, thank you, Bruce. Close press and public comment. Okay, that's all press and public comment. So, commissioners, if you want to turn to uh, tab number two, we have some new business from the Department of Public Works. Uh, they're up first, so tab number two. Item one, uh, Mr. Steve Cahoon, our public facilities planner, is going to give us a brief update on the Bay Crossing study. Good morning. Good evening. <laughs> your, your day just, started just a lot earlier than ours, apparently. <laughs> no, thank you. Um, Y'all are well, well aware of the Bay Crossing study and that it's been going on. It, it got started uh, back in 2016, and it's hopefully going to be wrapped up this year. Um, the Tier 1 NEPA process um, had many steps in it. It first um, uh, began a review of the entire bay and looked at 14 different corridors in the bay, uh, up and down the bay that could be a potential location for a bay crossing or a new bridge or tunnel. Um, that ultimately got narrowed down to three locations, um, and that's kind of where things are. They're evaluating those three locations, um, and that's uh, one location north coming into Kent County from um, Upper Anne Arundel County. Um, the current location, <coughs> current Bay Crossing Corridor, uh, is in the final three, and then there's a crossing south uh, from Lower Anne Arundel County into Talbot County. And, um, so those three corridors were retained for further analysis. They're working on that now. And the next step in the process is for um, MDTA and that, the NEPA study to pick one of those corridors as their preferred alternative. And that preferred alternative would go out for public hearings with a draft environmental impact study. So um, after it goes out for public hearings, um, then a final environmental impact study would need to be done and the, and the entire process would be finalized when there's a record of decision on a selected corridor. So uh, last week at the Bragg uh, Bay Bridge Reconstruction Advisory Group meeting, there was an update and the Bragg members were advised that uh, the MDTA and the study is, is very close to coming out with their prefer, preferred alternative. However, of course, COVID has impacted their schedule and delayed their schedule and delayed their ability to, to come out with that. Um, one of the key issues being that in order to have public outreach and public hearings and public meetings, you need to be able to go with the public. So they and they've run into conflict with federal highways about how they can have that public involvement at this time. So that's delayed uh, the process. Now, the tier one NEPA study that is currently being done would just select a corridor. So it'd be about a two mile wide corridor. It would select where the bridge location would, uh, could go. Then a tier two NEPA study, a second NEPA study would have to occur. And that would look at the exact alignment where within that two miles would a bridge or a tunnel be designed and go. It would ac actually look at the exact alignment and options for that. Interesting, you said tunnel. Uh, it's still on the table. <laughs> um, but that would be part of the tier two. The tier one just narrows down the corridor. Tier two would look at, at those additional details. So, and the tier two would be an approximately a four year, another four year process. And right now, that there's um, no uh, um, 
since tier one hasn't been completed, they have not funded or scheduled or look at, looked at um, when they would enter into tier two or start a tier two NEPA study. Hmm. So, um, for the public um, to know, there is a, a web page out there about the Bay Crossing study. It's baycrossingstudy.com. Um, you know, it, it, it has a schedule, but none of the schedules have dates at this point in time because everything's been pushed back because of uh, COVID. Steve, can we find out from the, uh, the organization that is telling us that uh, we have to have the hearings and they have to be public, as in people have to be in the room? What organization is that? Is that, is that uh, Federal Highway? I, I, it, it, Federal Highways. Is, it, it indicated that Federal Highways is managing or the, the one that sets out the process for the NEPA. Can we find out who at Federal Highway uh, MBTA is talking to? Sure. You know, I just, I would like to have a conversation. Yeah, there's, just, a, there's a project manager with Federal Highways, right. just like uh, MDTA has a right. project manager. Okay. Any questions about the Chesapeake Bay Bridge Crossing study? Is that it for now? Well, I mean, it's, you know, we could go on forever, but, you know, here we are uh, this July, or is it this August? It will be five years. Uh, it shouldn't have taken four years, but it's going to be five years. And I got to believe I, I don't know that it'll be done by then. Uh, like I said, they've got to make the decision. They have to have the hearings, and you know this is getting—it's painful, and it's—it's it's more painful with the uh, phase two of the the NEPA, with no funding, uh, no funding source, no commitment. You know, it, in, until they do that, until we move forward, it's just going to get worse and worse so meanwhile the traffic heading to the beaches oh, keeps yeah. increasing yeah and there's more vacation homes down at the beach and mm -hmm. i was told in that brag meeting i just i can't resist it i was told in that brag meeting that if queen Anne's county would you know slow their development and growth there oh. wouldn't be so many cars oh it's our fart oh okay so i happen to say oh. does anybody in queen Anne's county have a problem with the traffic the last month and a half and the next month and a half because the answer is going to be no, because that's our traffic. So, yeah. unfortunately, this is the game we play. Growth from other jurisdictions just don't use that bridge. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, especially Delaware. Mm -hmm. um, All right. Thanks, commissioners. Well, now the next item we have uh, also informational, and Steve's done a little research on this for us, is about dynamic tolling. And uh, this is a general overview of the process by which we could do that here. And dynamic tolling, just for simplistic sake, is uh, is a way to change the toll amount uh, during uh, high peak demand times, like they do on the ICC, for example. That's a uh, a route that MDTA manages that has a, a variable toll rate based on demand. So during peak times, the toll rate's higher. Off peak times, the toll rate's lower. So we. Been talking about using that potentially as a um, for the Bay Bridge as well. So, yeah, and with, with dynamic tolling, there can be a couple different goals. One is to generate revenue. Um, another would be to um, change behavior. Uh, you may change the travel times of the people that use the bridge or use whatever toll facility it is, um, in order to free up capacity so you have a more even flow throughout the day instead of peak times and uh, off-peak times. So, it tries to level out the flow of traffic so, by so, charging so more. Qu question regarding 
peak times and, and, and defining what peak time is. So uh, morning commute and evening commute? What? In, in many locations, uh, especially urban locations, um, that is. If you're using a toll road to go in and out of an urban area, um, a lot of that revolves around commuter times. Um, a lot of, um, and, and that's, that's where, where dynamic tolling is, is used in many places. However, um, it's, it's not that easy to set those rates and set those times. Um, in investigating it, there's a number of things that would need to be considered um, in order to know when you would set those tolls, at what traffic volumes you would set the tolls, um, how high or low you would make the tolls. Um, there's, it, it could definitely be lower tolls at, at off-peak times to promote travel. You know, it could work in, in a number of different ways. Um, and then there's also a variety of different tolls, as we know. Um, you have tolls for different size vehicles. You have different tolls for commuters. You have different tolls depending on the electronic device you're using, whether it's easy pass, pay by plate, or um, uh, video tolling. So um, our toll authority has a number of different tolls they charge at each, each location. And they would have to study how and why and how they would go about um, changing those tolls. And with dynamic tolling, you would have a trigger of what would increase it and what would decrease it. And you know, it, um, that, that would all be part of the study. With that, um, MDTA is the agency, Maryland Transportation Authority, manages all the toll facilities. They manage uh, the Bay Bridge as well as um, the other toll bridges and uh, toll roads in the, in the state. And they have the authority and budget to finance that study. It's really up to them to put it in their capital budget to do a study. And then once they do that study, they would choose, if they chose to move forward with changing any tolls, they would put together a proposal. And that proposal would go out to the public and they'd hold public hearings throughout the state um, or specific jurisdictions depending on what facility they may be considering. And following the, um, those public hearings, they would consider the public comment and then decide whether they're going to change tolls up or down or, or change them um, with whatever proposal that they came up with that was justified by the study. So it's, it's a public process. Um, you may remember a couple years ago when the Bay Bridge and other toll facilities were going to all electronic tolling. Um, there was a study done to look at statewide all electronic tolling and then there was um, public hearings and one was held here in Queen Anne's County at the uh, Kent Island High School. Um, so Steve, did MDTA obviously they're controlled by a private board. Um, but at the end of the day, they can set all these tolls up, but if I'm not mistaken, based on when Governor Hogan got in, he rolled the tolls back via executive order. So technically they can set them, but they can still be rolled back by a political mean. It, it just, to me, it becomes a political football too, uh, uh, beyond just MDTA saying we're gonna raise these tolls, depending on who's in Annapolis or anything else, they also have a say in it, is the reality, correct? I, I was, I will look into that, whether executive order is a mechanism. But I think that's how the governor rolled them back uh, uh, when he first got in, right? When we went from, what, $6 to $250 or whatever it was when it went backwards? I thought he was the one that signed that executive order. He did. Yeah. It so, was him. Yep. So if, if the executive could roll it back, I mean, that's what I'm saying. I just don't want people to get the, 
the illusion that MDTA is going to be the be-all, say-all in it. It's oh, no. So. MDTA is just the opposite. They don't want to touch it. They have no desire to do anything. Well, it's a political football. It really right. is. They, I mean, well, the governor's not, not, you know, he lowered tolls. He's not going to raise tolls. Right. So that's, this whole process is just going to drag until the next election. That's what I'm saying. It's, so. it's, it's going to go beyond just doing this study right. and all that stuff is my yeah. point. With, with all electronic toll, the, the process I described is what, what they just went through to make adjustments to the toll rates for all electronic toll Well, I think everybody's I in favor under. of that. I mean, I think that the outcry for that was so uh, rampant that the, nobody was going to step on that because of, obviously, the eastbound on the bridge, it definitely helps some, so. Hmm. That's good. Well, all done? Any? Yeah, well, so you were on the call on Monday, the brag. Um, there was, what, 30 people on the call? And you'll be surprised how many people uh, on the call are from a senator's office and or a delegate's office. You know, a lot from Anne Arundel County, I would assume. I, I don't know where, they, I mean, they're just, when they reel the names off, with such and such, with delegates such and such, and nobody talks. I mean, am I wrong? Did anybody? I mean, nobody talks. The power is in. But I'm, I'm, I'm dumbfounded because if I say something, they pull out the guns, and you know, I get Jim Ports, and uh, you know, he wants to clarify things, and I just, you know, it, it, it's frustrating. I'm telling you that this, you know, when when we sat in here three, four years ago, and we were we were showing different things to do to help us with traffic. And one of the things was this electronic tolling. Everyone kept saying, oh, we're getting electronic tolling, but it won't be at the Bay Bridge for two years. And then lo and behold, there's an issue, and enough noise is made, and the governor says, I want electronic tolling, and it, gets, it happens in six months. And I think it's the same thing with this. I mean, there is, there's no funding for the second, you know, the tier, second phase of, of the NEPA. You know, uh, so without it, the project dies. Well, it takes, approximately two years to hook up westbound tolling. By the time you do the study, by the time you do the hearings, by the time you design it and build it, I mean, you're two years away. I mean, all of this slows us down. And that's what the call Monday was about. I said, look, you know, MDTA, you need to fund us. Well, you know, it's, well, let me back up. They went through a list of all the projects that are going on on the bridge right now, and it's well in excess of probably $250 million. Is that a fair assumption? I mean, it's, it's, a, it's staggering. I think that the electrical cable that they're putting across from one side to the other, I think that's somewhere in the neighborhood of 40 or $50 million. Just around, yeah, I mean, so, I mean, that's all from tolls. I mean, that's money generated from tolls. We're talking 30 to $35 million for, for phase two of the NEPA. And to me, well, then we're just gonna have to cut something back. I mean, it, it, it's gonna come to, I, Honest to God, I don't, I don't know how we get there. And that's what's getting frustrating for me is because, you know, you, you, you offer up ideas to say, look, let's do dynamic tolling. And if people change their travel habits, that's a bonus for Queen Anne's County. If they don't, at least we know this money's going towards, you know, the, you know, the decision and the design for, the, for a new bridge. And I think the public won't have an outcry. I mean, there's also people that are going to complain, you're, you're taxing me, you're taxing me. But without it, they're going to sit in these backups, and they're going to do nothing but get worse. And, and everybody acknowledges the fact that it, it is a capacity issue, and without a new bridge, you're never going to be able to address it. And what they've been doing, and, and, and just so you know, there is now a new project for eastbound Route 50 in Anne Arundel County. 
and I believe they're putting monitoring devices up there working with the University of Maryland at ramps and exits, and I guess they're trying to figure out how to best flow traffic to get them over the bridge. No such study to get them back across the bridge, but a study to get them to the beach. So, you know, I mean, again, th there is no solution for us. There really isn't. I mean, I understand, uh, you know, the uh, Secretary of Transportation is going to put up some, some uh, monitoring systems, hopefully, uh, by this summer, that will help control red lights and help alleviate some of the backups on Kent Island. But, you know, I, I hope it works. I really do. But and we still need to be planning now. We still need to be moving forward now on this NEPA or, you know, it, I don't, I, I just, I shudder to think what this traffic's going to look like in, in five or six years. And even if things move forward in five or six years, we're still five or six years away from a new bridge. So, right. you know, again, you know, I, I, until, you know, people say, how do you get to this? Well, you get to this because there's always a reason not to do something, you know, make a reason to do it. So. And we, and we know what the traffic will look like 10 oh, years from now. It's going to look like what it looked like when they were redecking the bridge. Absolutely. That kind of traffic backup. Oh, and the, they are in the design phase right now for replacing the decking on the eastbound bridge. So is there, yeah, a, time I, fra is there a time frame when that's going to start? Uh, probably two years. Probably two years just because... Everything I, that we just went through. They're just getting... Well, started. no. So that's one of the questions I asked. As they went through all the projects, I just asked a simple question. Do any of those projects involve... Daytime lane closures during summer hours on the bridge, and I was told no. And then two minutes later, uh, you know, the head engineer, Mr. Pines, Will Pines, comes on and goes, "I just want to clarify, <laughs> that doesn't count if we have to do something when we're redecking the eastbound bridge." So, you know, again, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. But they are making that bridge wider. They are. Got enough room. I, I don't know if it's a foot or two feet they're talking about. They're adding uh, some little bit. They're making it wide enough so if you had a car against this jersey wall and a car against that jersey wall, a car can go between them. So I, I guess through the, the, the truss spans, there's enough room, but kudos for them. It's, it's, it's all going to be precast. So they're going to be just like they did in the spans. They're going to build this somewhere else and they're going to bring it. I mean, and set them right their in place. plan is to cut it and pull one off and put one back. So, you know, I mean, we know it needs to be done. And, we, and you know, that's not the issue, but, you know, the. You know, where's your, where's your long-range plan? I mean, to stick that kind of money into an, these old bridges, you, you know, don't have the capacity, just tells me that, you know, this, good luck. You know, it, good luck. I will say that they, you know, their contractors have been doing an outstanding job with the work they've been doing. The railing, the post on the westbound span, the, the, the rails, the posts, the, the uprights, uh, the last meeting they had six done, and now they have 163 done or something. It was something outrageous. I was like, oh, wow. And we've got, like I said, five more of the uh, control joint expansion joints that need to be replaced. So hopefully they can get back on them in March. And by uh, Memorial Day, that'll be done. And we won't have to worry about the speed bumps on the bridge. So it's never a dull moment. But I want to thank, you know, Steve here has, has, has been uh, my savior in information and, and how do we do things and, and what's the thing. And that's, it's great to have that. And he also helps me on the... Uh, uh, Baltimore Metropolitan Council, so <laughs> thanks, Steve. I appreciate it. I mean, Jim, not to beat a dead horse, but it's, it's so I just wrote these down just so I could put them in my head. So 52 was the first bridge, 72 is the second bridge. We're 26 years removed from Reach the Beach. Uh, there was 20 years in between building two bridges, right. but we're 26 years removed from when we inundated uh, basically Queen Anne's County and the entire uh, throughway with the Reach the Beach traffic. And we've done nothing for 50 years to even look at a new bridge. And 
honestly, it, like you said, we're going to be 55 to 60 years out from uh, the last time we were there. And that's just a failure of the government of the state. And I, I blame the federal level, too, because let's face it, this is a federal highway. People kind of lose sight of that. But mm -hmm. 5301 is a federal highway. And, you know, we have congressmen, we have delegates and senators. We, people need to call them. When they're sitting in that traffic doing nothing, right. get those numbers on your phone, put them on speed dial, and call. Because that's, like you said, making noise, we got the electronic tolling done. Mm -hmm. So it's going to take the same effort, I think, oh, yeah. uh, across the board. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we talked about, you know, uh, non-construction lane closures, you know, disruptions potential jumpers you know these you know and everybody is like you know well, what if that was your son well if it was my son believe me he wouldn't do it twice <laughs> you know, I guarantee you that so you know we, we have we have asked our delegation to introduce stiffer penalties there is no penalties for going up there and dancing around on, on the superstructure it's trespassing slap on the wrist have a nice day so you know and, and again I'm asking MDT how can we help you what what can you suggest to us? This is your job. What do we need to do as legislators in Annapolis to say, you know, it, is it a, punishable by three years imprisonment? I mean, mental health, that's all good and well, but when does the, the, the need of the many outweigh the need of that one? And that's my question. And, you know, I mean, I don't know. This society has gotten sideways on, on their thinking. And when you can disrupt, you know, 50,000 people and the commerce that goes with it, because somebody might jump or might not jump, I, I you know, I, God, I, I feel sorry for them. I really do. And my heart goes out for them. But, you know, what about the arrest of and, us? And not to mention the other lives that are put at stake. Well, I mean, you know, we all got calls. I mean, my father's in the hospital. He's dying. I can't even go see him. You know, I, I've got kids here and I can't, you know, we, we got all, we heard it all. So, you know, asking them just what can we do to help you is, is all, you know, we're, we're looking for solutions. And, and to do the same is just mind-boggling to me. And I don't knock the MDTA police or anything else. Their hands are tied. And that's what I mean. This is going to take something through Annapolis, you know, some sort of legislation to come up. But I think we'll be too busy legalizing marijuana and finding that billion dollars they're going to cut loose here. So, anyways. Sorry for that rant. And we, honestly, Jim, when you look at that, so I've access to get up to the heights, you know, above just yeah. the bridge span itself. There's, I mean, I can't believe that in, in this world, we can't come up with a way to stop somebody from being able to get out on those girders to actually climb the, the superstructure. I mean, I, I know they've got that thing that looks like it came out of an Adams family house there that's supposed to deter people, but supposedly they just walk around that. Oh, yeah. so. Electrify it, maybe. I don't know. But, you know, but again, if <laughs> we talk about copycats, so somebody does it and Two days later, they're out on the street, you know, and then somebody else sees that and says, I want my claim to fame. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I just, I don't have the, all the answers, but I would definitely say that you've got to do more than just slap somebody on the wrist. You know, there's got to be consequences for well, your actions. Part, you know, part of the problem is they don't, they, they don't commit them, you know, this whole thing with the mental health, and that is an issue whether right. they could get committed for 30 days and that kind of thing. So that's, I mean, that's something to look at. So, right. you know, our instance this year, we had the issue with someone back within, what is it, less than a week, week and a half, whatever it was. So how did that even happen? Right. You know, we got a question. How are we doing things on the other side that that was even able to happen within that short mm -hmm. time frame? Right. So, and that, I think that's a discussion that we could have for a long period of time. Oh yeah, another day. Another day. Yeah. All right. Thank my, you. All right. Thank you, Mr. Cahoon. Thank you, Commissioners. One last comment. You good? My own take on this whole thing is, I think if you're considering suicide, a year in jail isn't going to change 
your outlook, but it certainly invites a different medical response for sure. Mm -hmm. so, good enough. Okay. Let's go. All right. Thank you, Commissioners. Moving on. Item number three on page four. Um, this is for the Roads Board. So if you please convene as the Roads Board, we have um, the conclusion of a public hearing we held for the abandonment. Motion to convene as a Roads Board. Second. Okay. And a motion second. All in favor? Aye. 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 Yep. That's from Kent Nair's way south. So, Shane, take it away. As Todd say, this is follow-up to our November 10th public hearing. Um, to my right is Pat Thompson, the county attorney, who was at the uh, public hearing. Um, this is to convey uh, approximately 4,000 square feet of Kent Nair's way south to Schultz Development, LLC. And, um, our, our, we uh, held a record of two weeks at the end of the public hearing, and we had no testimony um, at the hearing or after the hearing. Um, the commissioners can choose now to sign the resolution if they want to move forward. Also, the quick clean deed, which uh, Mr. Thompson has prepared. Did we get any assurances that that would be kept open or need any assurances that would be kept open as a right away for emergency or whatever? I revised the deed to reserve a right for the public to turn around, reverse direction, essentially, on the short okay. property. Good enough. Yeah, in addition to that, we made a reservation for any public utilities we need to put in that area as well, uh, with, as well as the public access. Right. The public to know. Absolutely. I'll make a motion that we execute the resolution. Second. All right. We got a motion to second. Any discussion? All those in favor? Aye. 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 Five vote. All right. Thank you, Commissioner. Thank, Thank you, very you much. Shane. Patrick. I guess that includes this quickly. Indeed, there's two things that need to be signed. Yeah, Margie has all the originals. We'll get those signed. Yeah. Okay. All right, thank you, gentlemen. Yeah. All right, commissioners, we can go to our actual items for this evening. We have 12 of them. If you want to turn to tab number three, actually, we have 11. Um, the first item was a uh, certification for public housing authority uh, approval, and this actually has to go to the state, item number one on page one, so we can um, pass on that item. Item number two on page seven is the um, this is for the Maryland Agricultural Land Preservation uh, Foundation, the MOUTH program. And this is a request from Donna Landis-Smith to supply a letter of intent to participate uh, in the required match for this upcoming grant cycle. And this is something we do typically each year. I make a motion to approve the letter of intent to participate in the MOUTH matching funds program. Second. All right, we have a motion and a second. Any discussion? All those in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? Five vote. All right. Thank you, commissioners. Item number three on beginning on page nine is for the um, our county rides program, and this is to um, certify that we're going to implement the Civil Rights Act of 1964 <coughs> and provide um, a complaint process for any rider uh, in our bus system. It provides DBE protections and. Uh, uh, disability protections for any riders of our of our system. So we, we do, do this, this every year, right? No, it's the first for me. I've never seen this one. What, what, what's what? What was the triggering? What what brought this out? This is something that we I believe we do this once a year as part of the grant did. program for the county ride system that just provides for a com a complaint process for. Uh, but why would, with, I guess that I point that why do you have to do it every year? Once you do it, the complaint process is in place and. I'm not, I'm not, I'm just, yeah, I, if there's not a, a short answer, I'm fine with that. I just, I thought maybe this was something 
new that was passed down from the state. I would have to, I would have to get you an, ans an answer on that. I can certainly I do that if you want to hold this. I don't sure you want to get some. No, no, we, we, can, we can vote on it. I mean, I'm fine with that. I'm just, I was All just right, curious. here we go. We, yeah. the Queen Anne County Commissioners, do hereby accept Title VI 2021-2023 Implementation Plan of Civil Rights Act of 64 by signing Resolution 21-01 to be included in the fiscal year 2022 Annual Transportation Plan Grant Request for the Queen Anne County Ride Program. Second. So, got a motion to second? Discussion? Okay, so, so it seems to me in, in, in reading and listening to the motion that we're just agreeing that we're gonna be involved in this program and the act of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 regarding transportation funding for this next year. I mean, right. this is why I say it seems like something that we would do every single year to get the necessary funding from This is part government. of the grant application, I think, and if we don't yeah. do this, then mm -hmm. the grant application would be deficient, and that would be That's right. lack of funding for transportation. Right. So maybe it's a different funding mechanism for that money this time around? I, I, don't, I don't believe so. I think this is an annual thing we do for that grant program. We have a motion in a second. All right. All right. Well, we got a motion and a second. Any other discussion? All right. So we have uh, a motion to accept the Title VI 2021 to 2023 implementation plan of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 by signing Resolution 21-01 to be included in the FY 2022 annual transportation plan and grant request for the Queen Anne's County County Ride Program. There's a second. All those in favor say aye. 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 Any opposed? Motion carries, 5-0. All right, thank you, commissioners. Item number four, beginning on page 63. This is for also for the Maryland Transit Administration, MTA. This is our uh, capital grant agreement for fiscal 21. And this goes with um, also for our, our bus system uh, acknowledging that Queen Anne County accepts the federal and state funding or support for our transit services for County Ride as a locally owned transit system in Queen Anne's County, the capital program for fiscal 21. Entertain a motion. We, the Queen Anne's County Commissioners, do hereby accept the Maryland Transit Administration MDTA grant, capital grant agreements packet to certify that the Queen Anne's County Department of Community Services Area Agency on Aging will operate the public transit system and accept the awards as offered by the State of Maryland Department of Transportation for FY 2021. Second. All right, We've got a motion and a second. Any discussion? All those in favor say aye. 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 Any opposed? 5-0, motion carries. Okay, thank you, commissioners. The next item is uh, a similar item, item number five, being on page 79, is the, um, the sister agreement for, for the Maryland Transit Administration for the operating uh, program grant for the county ride system. We, the Queen Anne's County Commissioners, do hereby accept the Maryland Transit Administration's operating grant agreements packet to certify that the Queen Anne's County Department of Community Services Area Agency on Aging will operate the public transit system and accept the awards as offered by the state of Maryland Department of Transportation for FY 2021. Second. We got a motion to second. Any discussion? All those in favor? Aye. Aye. 5-0 passes. Thank you, commissioners. Item number six on page 93. 
is the Community Partnership Agreement for Fiscal 2021. And this is an agreement between the state and Queen Anne's County through which the Children's Cabinet on behalf of the state and the Community Partnerships for Children and the LMB enter into a partnership to develop comprehensive and integrated children and family interagency service delivery. I move that President Corcorino sign the attached 2021 Community Partnership Agreement. Second. Motion is second. Any discussion? All those in favor say aye. 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 Five zero. All right, thank you, commissioners. Item seven on page 125 is a request for a letter of recommendation from Chop Tank Electric and Talkie Communications for potential um, grants that they can apply for to expand broadband in our rural areas of the county. I move we approve the. <laughs> That's Come on, your, somebody do that's it. That's kind of your corridor, Jack. Jack. <laughs> you can, Come on, Jack. Four of us are staring at you. <laughs> I'm curious to sign the first request to provide a letter of recommendation for the support of the expansion of broadband in Queen Anne's County. Second. Got a motion to second. Any discussion? Those in favor? Aye. 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 Motion passes 5-0. Hey, thank you, Commissioner Wilson, for that motion, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, item number eight on page 128 is, uh, as you know, we transitioned from a 457 plan to, uh, to one vendor, Voya, and the final phase in the transition of that plan is to set up a, uh, some bylaws and a board to sort of manage that fund, and Beverly Churchill was kind enough to pre prepare these, um, these bylaws, and they're here for your consideration and or approval tonight. I move that the draft 457B Retirement Plan Investment Committee bylaws be adopted as presented. Second. Got a motion to second. Any discussion? All those in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? 5-0. Thank you, Commissioners. Item number nine is the fiscal uh, FY19 Terrapin Park Trailhead Restroom Facility. This is a request um, to approve a prefabricated um, Concrete Trailhead Restroom Facility for Terrapin Nature Park using a pre-established government contract and POS funds. Can I get a motion on that, please? I move to authorize the Department of Parks and Recreation to purchase a prefabricated concrete trailhead and restroom facilities from public restroom company, Minden, Nevada, utilizing the five board contract in the amount of $461,861 Funding is to come from the Department of Parks and Recreation FY19 Terrapin Park Trailhead Capital Project and Project Open Space Grant Funds. Second. <laughs> Sir, I got a motion and a second. $460 to build a bathroom. Excuse me? Yes. Yes. <laughs> it does. <laughs> I nice think bathroom. this is probably one of the first times that I've actually seen you. Bathroom. And, and <laughs> glad to see you and the circumstances in which you're here. I mean, someone who's taken a look at those porta johns over the summer at peak usage, I mean, this is going to be certainly a big help. Right. And, and again, just for, for informational purposes, this will be right at the very beginning of, uh, of the trailhead right there at Terrapin. So we'll remove the two that are in the parking lot now, and we'll still have uh, some that are scattered through the trail closer to the waterfront area. So, so, so um, where the where you're saying in, in, where the parking lot is? Where the parking lot is is gosh. you go into the parking lot. The restroom facility and ranger station will actually be oh, that's the very right. back of it. It's actually an right overgrown there. area, so we're going to end up clearing all that um, the woody vegetation or 
really weedy vegetation that's in there and then place the um the facilities there and then it's a it's a way to kind of funnel people into one entry point at the park I mean, so if when we go back if we have to regulate like the number of folks that are using terrapin we were doing that at the entrance before they actually came in to the parking lot area we're still going to do it there we're still going to do it there and okay. still be able to you know funnel people into so to one area this this won't be the choke point it'll be, no. still be out on the road okay yeah. sir this is principally funded by uh, pos um yes it is and it was also a, a project that we had back, um, looks like FY19, okay. um, to, to help develop some of those facilities. Good. Thank you, sir. Perfect. Any more discussion? Well, I just, I got a question, I guess, because I've had the question presented to me. What, when, what are the hours on these bathrooms? I've, I've had people ask me, why are the bathrooms not open in the parks when they go to them? Is there? Port, well, obviously the Port of Johns are open. Yeah, but I'm talking hours. about where we actually but have regular bathrooms. Regular bathrooms are, are should be open from sunrise to sunset and really it, it's a, a safety issue is what it boils down to, to you know if if they're open all the time you know a concrete building is a place where someone can take shelter it's a place where someone can do illicit activities you know it's just a way that you need to kind of control the population it's one less reason for someone to be in the park after hours is that pretty standard practice in parks throughout the state okay so so we have someone that goes in the morning and and opens them up and then we have someone in the evening that goes and locks them down and we'll have rangers we have staff that's close by that you know opens up um so the next question is when will we start allowing those bathrooms to be open i mean when we're constructed so, well i know because of covid we closed them right and you were forced to use a portage on we did because we didn't have hand washing okay that was you know that's that uh, kind of that double-edged sword right that's not an issue anymore though we'll have water for for that so are these bathhouses winterized i mean these, some of these bathrooms at some of the parks winterized to where they're not even usable in the winter um you can you can place a, a small heater in there so that can be used year-round i think that's our in, intent because again you know trail use is you know is a year-round activity it's not just a a seasonal activity so how often will somebody be expecting them for a cleanliness it depends on the season and it will it definitely will depend on the season um obviously in the uh the summer season you know probably at a minimum three times a week mm -hmm. um again based on on usage um this time of year you know it'd probably be reduced down to you know maybe one time a, one time a week and again you know it's there's going to be some adjustment period there's going to be a learning curve to find out, you know, how often we need to go in there. And even if it's, you know, if it's not to go in and clean it, it's to go in and lay eyes on it to make sure that everything is, in, um, you know, in good working order, that it hasn't been vandalized. I, you know, I, I, I know that that's a huge challenge. I mean, um, being an umpire and, and, and going to different parks across the bridge in Anne Arundel County and, and various counties and, and having to use those facilities in those parks, some of them are just disgusting. So, uh, you know, I know we're, we're graded uh, not only by our visitors that come to our county, but also our citizens. So uh, I, I know when you put these things up, you know, you're assuming, you know, some care, custody and control issues, if you will. Right. And just as long as we're addressing those, because I, I, some of them were It'll bad. only take one time for you, any one of us commissioners, to go in there and find it a mess to yeah. change out, change the routine of 
how frequently yeah. they get cleaned. But I just don't want it. To, I don't want it to have to come to that. That's. Yeah. I'm predicting the summer on a weekend. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Any other uh, discussion? All right. So. We got a, the motion is to authorize the Department of Parks and Recreation to purchase a prefabricated concrete trailhead and restroom facilities from the public restroom company in Midden, Nevada, utilizing the by board contract in the amount of $461,861. And the funding is to come from the Department of Parks and Rec FY19 Terrapin Park Trailhead Capital Project and POS grant funds. And there's a second. All those in favor? Aye. 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 Just for the TV audience, POS is program open space money. All right. Five zero. Thank you, sir. Thank you all. Thank, Thank you. you, Director Chanley. Thank you, commissioners. Okay, item number 10 is the uh, scope of work and budget for the fiscal 21 Clean Chesapeake Coalition. This is a bit late this year uh, due to the pandemic, but um, our attorney there, General Counsel Chip McLeod, has sent this to the executive committee. And um, so this would be for a contribution uh, from each of the five member counties of $17,000 each. Uh, so far, I think Dorchester has agreed to participate. Uh, nobody else, uh, no other county has, has declined as of yet. So um, it's here for your review and consideration. We will have to do a budget amendment to uh, provide funding authority if we do join, because we did not include this in the budget. Uh, this past year because we didn't have the, the information uh, at the budget time. So um, I'm going to make a motion. motion. I move to pay the Clean Chesapeake Coalition annual per county contribution of $17,000 for FY 2021. Second. Got a motion and a second. Any discussion? It's worth it. It's definitely oh. worth it. I mean, oh, yeah. If we saw two weeks ago, they opened up the Conowingo again uh, and turned the, the bay to coffee. Uh, somebody's got to be a voice out there. Uh, and I believe they want to change who's the chair, right, Todd? Yes, uh, the chair, the chairperson. Um, we could uh, potentially become the chairperson. I guess Commissioner Moran's been the liaison. So uh, Kent County has chaired this committee for the past probably. And five since or six they're not years. funding it, they have actually backed out. Uh, Ron they haven't said no yet, but I so maybe. Oh, I thought they did. They haven't said officially no yet. Okay. At least well, hopefully they don't. Hopefully they do get back in this. But that mean we can't have a new chairman. Then. Right. Ron's fighting the good fight up there. He supports. Yes, he is. Yeah. With against, who, yes. Well, he only has to get one other person That's up right. there to agree. Right. And we're only talking seventeen thousand dollars. So, anyways. All right. So we got a motion to pay the uh, Clean Chesapeake Coalition annual per county contribution of seventeen thousand dollars for FY twenty twenty one. All those in favor, say aye. 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 Opposed. Five zero. Commissioners. Item 11 is Budget Amendment CC24. This is for um, budget authority in the general fund to um, cover the cost of application and installation of DVRs in the Volunteer Fire Service Command vehicles, $105,323. Motion approved, CC24. Second. second. Got a motion and a second. Any discussion? So this will complete them. Right. Very good. Everybody. Second. All those in favor? Aye. 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 Five zero. All right. Thank you, commissioners. And our desk item number, number 12. This is the um, long awaited hotel relief grant agreement from Secretary Schultz. So uh, this was approved uh, or sent out end of last year. And we now have the grant documents. And um, 
Heather Tonelli at uh, Economic Development is ready to go with uh, administering this grant program to our local hotels. Motion on that. A motion to sign the hotel grant agreement. Again, <laughs> okay. that's fine. Okay, discussion. So I think we have, if I remember, right, there's only maybe five businesses that might qualify. For ten. Actually, there's ten. 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 Okay. Ten altogether. So it because includes some bed and breakfasts, not Airbnbs, but bed and breakfasts that have so many. Rooms. Five. Five or more rooms. Five or more qualify. rooms. Yeah. Okay. So. Well, I mean, even with ten. What we're going to grant, that's actually going to be a pretty good help for those businesses. Yeah. So. Some of them are capped, too. I, I mean, the capped state has capped where you can be anyway. Yeah. So. Yeah. So I think that's going to be real good for, for Absolutely. Hotels. Okay. Uh, we have a motion to sign the hotel agreement. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? None. 5 0. Okay, great. Thank you, Commissioners. And Todd, do we have one other desk item for the Board of Editors that for next That was just, time? Uh, they were just reporting that. That was just for informational only, so we don't need to take care of that tonight. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so Jim had to use bathroom. So okay. I think we are ready for our first presentation. We, uh, we're going to just take a five minute recess. Oh, sure. Okay. Recess. Thank you. Mm -hmm. All right, Commissioners. Uh, next up, we have our presentation section. We have our public. Um, Health pandemic update from Dr. Ciatola. And like we all know, with this pandemic, everything changes. So the presentation in your book has been updated uh, to reflect the most current information. So there is a desk item here for that. And we have the most up-to-date presentation here on the screen as well for the public. So I will turn it up over to Dr. Ciatola. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. Again, good news, bad news. So we'll go through the good news first. We've got vaccine. We got vaccine Christmas Eve. We started vaccinating the week after Christmas, okay? We were initially given 100 doses, and then we were given 500, and then we were given 700. So we had 1,300 doses total that we have received since we started receiving vaccine right after Christmas till today. Today, we got a, an additional dose of 500 for first shot, and we got 100 for the second shot. There's going to be some discussion whether you hold on to that 100 for the second shot or think that you're going to get a consistent progression of vaccine every week. Unfortunately, we don't know what we get until the Friday evening before the weekend that they will decide how it's being dispersed. They've now changed the delivery date to Tuesday morning, which makes it a problem for us with a Monday clinic at Ken Island Fire Department, knowing how much vaccine we may have to reserve from the previous week in order to be able to cover the appointments that are on Monday at the firehouse. Because what we're doing is we're testing or, or vaccinating Mondays, nine to three, Ken Island Hall, we set up the prep mod, which is the online ability to sign up for 480 spots at each one of those vaccine sites. The second site is on Wednesdays in the Kramer Center from 9 to 3, again with 480 spots. The third location and time is Friday afternoon from 2 to 7 p.m. at Ken Island Fire Department. Again, with 480 spots. 
So realistically, I could use 1,500 doses a week. All that we're getting allocated right now is 500 a week. So I've put a request in knowing that we, as of tomorrow, will have finished our A1 population. Now, I am not okayed to go forward with the 1Bs yet. But because of the fact that we have agreed to do our congregate housing, our assisted living, and our senior housing, since Walgreens and CVS said that they could not get here till the end of March or early April for that population, I've agreed to do that with the health department and the DES staff that we are using. We will also use our area on aging and our housing authority to help with the vaccination of the senior housing, both in Foxtown and at Terrapin Grove. Now, where do we stand? So far, confirmed cases, 2,482. This was as of yesterday morning. Number of confirmed deaths, nine. How many? Nine. How come I keep reading uh, 20? Nine in addition to. We've had nine deaths in the community. That's in addition to the 18 that we had in the nursing home. We've had four deaths since Christmas. We currently have 12 individuals in the hospital. Now, of the vaccine that we have received, we have injected 1,129 doses for the first dose. And it is Moderna, which is also a two-dose vaccine. And of the 1,129, we have had no adverse reactions. You may have a sore shoulder for 48 hours from the deltoid muscle injection, but we've had no adverse reactions. We are scheduled tomorrow at the Kramer Center. And I can say with all honesty, I think that we truly have given our A1 population, which is public safety, fire, EMS, judicial, law enforcement, essential county, hospice, social services who are making home visits, because we only have 160 appointments scheduled for tomorrow. We have 127 scheduled for Friday. I am ready to go to 1B. I will go for school nurses. Most, some of those have already been vaccinated on Monday. We're going to probably finish up the rest of the school nurses tomorrow and Friday. I'm ready to start doing the teachers. I'm ready to start doing the Board of Health staff. And I'm ready to start doing the contracted bus drivers. What I also am going to do is the 75 and older. Now, as we go through this slide, Real quick, Doc, before you get too far ahead on that. Um, so on the 1A, what percentage of those that were eligible under 1A do you think we've had vaccinated? I would say probably 30 to 40 percent. 
of those that were eligible had it because with the volunteer fire stations, we offered it not only to the EMS components, but the fire component and their auxiliary and back room staff to keep those units running. So we've had a large variety. And when you see the age distribution, you will see that we have with this 1A, with the 1,129, we've covered a large portion of the population in Queen Anne County. We will keep a weekly total of what we're doing, as well as a cumulative total. You ask me about age group. That's no, the no, age. You might, you might want to put on here your weekly allocation. We will also be putting that. You know what I mean? To show I, that you're, you're getting them out there. We are getting right, them out. Right. As a matter of fact, I think we're number four in the state as of this morning at what, 84, I think it was 84 percent mm -hmm. of the allocations that we have received, we've injected. Right. So are you going to talk about the backfill? Because that, that was my biggest thing, and I've talked to Commissioner Wilson and Corcorino about the, the backfilling the second doses. I know you said we got 100 today, but that doesn't, based on what you've injected. Well, let's just put it this way. In 28 days, essentially 28 days, right. I've got to have 1,129 doses ready. That's, that's okay? my point. And that will affect how we can do first dose. <clears throat> and so it's the same point. amount, both shots are the same amount? Yep. Medicine? It's the same shot. That's the same same shot. I know, yeah. but I mean yeah. same. It's the same Moderna, mm -hmm. it's the same process, okay? Sir, when you say you're ready to switch over to the over 75s, that's gonna invite a lot of people with a lot of interest. Well, if you look at it right now, when you look at 79 and 80, we've already done about 107 people, 117 over the age of 70. And a lot of that is the auxiliary members in the firehouses. It also, I believe the census indicated, the 2020 census indicated that we had 400 to 500 individuals over the age of 75 in Queen Anne County. Technically, I've already done a quarter mm. before I've even hit the majority of them. So realistically, I think that with a week and a half to two weeks of reaching out to that population, we will get them. And also get them by going to our senior housing because there's a lot of significant 65 and olders in those housing. And we're using the mobile teams to get to them. We are going to those homes. We're going to the assisted livings. With the MIC team, we composed of two nurses, a paramedic, and one of our addiction counselors for admin. We are doing not only the residents that want it, but also all of the staff that wants it at the assisted living and congregate homes. How about our three senior uh, populations, Foxtown, Terrapin, are they included? That's be included, included in, in that. that. Okay. Foxtown and Terrapin are considered congregate housing. Okay. Now, you look at the age bracket, that gives you a pretty good indication of where we are. The one 17-year-old was a young man who was one month from his 18th birthday, so he got a shot. Because 18 is the cutoff for Moderna. I cannot do anybody under the age of 18. Now, Testing. We are still testing. We are testing three days a week, this week, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. At this point in time, for the month of January, we have tested 1,208 people as of today. And we plan to continue this this week. The following week, I am transitioning from a testing standpoint 
to a vaccination standpoint with staffing. Chesapeake College and Shore Regional Health is still testing on Mondays and Wednesdays. We will test on Tuesdays so that you get three days of testing after a weekend and the results should be back before the next weekend. So that way we know we can advise people as far as travel, isolation, and quarantining. Remember when I said January was gonna be a rough month? That shows you where we are right now. And we just added 37 more positive cases for January today. We are sitting at 448 positive cases at Queen Anne County residents since the 1st of January. We're gonna beat December. I suspect we're gonna be at 1,000 or more positive cases in this jurisdiction by the end of the month of January. This, we never caught up or got caught up from the effects of Thanksgiving. We had Christmas hit us, and now we've got New Year's we're dealing with. And when I want to discuss with you the daily census rate that we're getting for the state on positive cases related to a population of 100,000, we'll get to that as I finish this slide presentation. This is your total cases by percentage, and I want you to look at the age bracket. You look at 5 to 9, 10 to 14, 5 to 9, it's 2.4% of our population. 10 to 14, you're looking at 3.5% of our population. You look at our seniors, you're looking at essentially almost 9% positivity. So you add that up, that's our school age children. But the majority, as you see, is our 20 to 35 or 45, that's a huge bump. And then our 45 to 65 is also very high. But did, could that also be relative to the fact that that is basically your working age group almost to yes. some extent? That is your working age group. That is also the age group that's socializing more, both at work and at home. This gives you an indication of what's happened as far as hospitalizations and deaths. We've had three deaths in January. We had the one right after Christmas, and we had the one right after Thanksgiving. So that's where the additional deaths have come from. That shows the majority of the deaths have occurred 65 or older. And we just saw an article today in a statement that was released by Dr. Delbridge, the executive director for MIMS. There is some issue now that we're investigating statewide, unexplained, sudden cardiac arrest in 65 and olders. They're now requesting and requiring probably the FIs and possibly the EMS response to do a COVID test because it may be related to COVID. These patients were not in the hospital, they were home. So there is some additional worry here. So the big question tonight is, and the big statement tonight is, the vaccine is here. The more vaccine we get, we're gonna push it out. Now, the other thing that we have done for the citizens of Queen Anne County 
and it is on the Queen Anne County website. Are you interested in getting vaccinated for COVID-19? And it's going to have a link. You can link to this webpage. And it's both on the health department webpage as well as the county webpage. And what this will do is it will ask the information if you're interested in a test in, in a vaccine. And by doing that, we can get a congregate number of groupings of 65 and older, their location, and be able to send them an email and say, here's the link to sign up to to get into one of the vaccination clinics. So that will have, you're, you're gonna be asking for their name, email address and everything. Email, uh -huh. name, and age. and age, not birth date. Right. I said, we're not putting any personal information on uh -huh. here except for your name, email, address, and age. Because that's how I'm going after the 65 and older. If I know specifically how many want it, where we can do it, we can designate a, a COVID link to get that population addressed. When are, when are you pushing that out? I believe it's out right now. I think Beth Molaski was going to push it out as I am speaking. Okay. Very good. Where we stand today disturbs me immensely. When you look at our daily surveillance rate that the state is pushing out of the number of cases per 100,000 in our jurisdiction, and the percent positivity, let me just say, we are at 74 cases positive per 100,000. Talbot County is at 59.2. Kent County is at 64.0. Dorchester County, 84.6. Caroline County, 70.1. I've been notified. Board of Ed has voted to open the schools in two weeks. Gentlemen, there's no way in my medical opinion, in my ethical opinion, in my moral opinion, that with the current status of the positivity in Queen Anne County and the fact that we've not been able to appropriately vaccinate our Board of Ed staff and our elderly, that I feel that it is wrong and I advise against opening in two weeks. The metrics that the state has given us, if you hit a positivity rate per 100,000 of 25, we're in the red zone. Well, you see where we are, we're beyond the red zone. We have a major positive outbreak right now throughout the county. We're trying to get the vaccine out, but the critical message for the citizens of Queen Anne we will continue to test you. We will continue to do the contact tracing. We will ramp up as much vaccine as we get into the public. If we've got vaccine, it's not doing any good sitting in a freezer or refrigerator. It needs to be in an arm. But the point of the matter is, we need our citizens to be as vigilant as possible. Wear your mask, use your hand sanitizer, wash your hands. And if you are sick, 
If you have flu-like symptoms, stay home. What are you? What are you? Uh, what kind of information are you getting from the contact tracing of these cases? Most have been social gatherings, family gatherings, and travel out of state. Okay. And we knew it was going to happen. It's inevitable. Now the other, the other stone in the ointment. It's the fact that we've now identified in Anne Arundel County two positive cases that are the mutated UK version of COVID-19. And looking at the way we're spreading here, I would not be surprised if we don't have it in this county. And knowing the people, the number of people that live in Queen Anne County and work in Anne Arundel and work in the federal organizations, work in D.C. This really ramps up the rate of positivity. This one is highly contagious. How bad and what are the more morbidity and mortality with it and will the vaccine cover it? Looking at the data from the UK, they say that the vaccine will cover it against the mutation. It may even mute the symptomatology of people that get infected with this mutated strain so that they're not as sick. But we don't know all those answers yet. But we do know we now have confirmed cases in Maryland and right in two of them in Anne Arundel County. Now I'll take any questions. Um, after the vaccinations have been administered, um, the second one, how long um, after that second vaccine do you, is it wise to continue to wear your mask? Realistically, we yes. can't answer that question. Huh? We can't answer that question. We don't have enough data to know how protected we are. We think that 12 days to 15 days after the second dose, you should have significant full antibody coverage. But we don't know if you get exposed, can you still spread it? but not be symptomatic. We have a lot of asymptomatic positive cases, have no symptoms, but yet when you do a PCR or a rapid test, all of a sudden they're positive and they technically can be spreading. So that's why the CDC, as well as the state, has recommended we continue wearing the mask until we get a better handle on how these vaccines and how this virus is going to act when, quote, unquote, we have herd immunity. Now, how many do we have to vaccinate? Dr. Fauci has gone over the, the numbers in different variations. So realistically, 75 to 95 percent would be a good range to be in. But I can't give you that kind of answer yet. Question for me, sir. Uh, a number of us have been fairly disturbed by the rather low rate of acceptance of this vaccine by people under 50 or 55. What do you think we or you should be doing to up that, and what is your comments on that acceptance rate? If we can't get enough people vaccinated, we ain't going to get any herd in. Well, it was rather distressing to see, look at the numbers that the state has published regarding the hospital use where the large majority of the vaccines went initially. And when you see that a, that a hospital system with healthcare providers 
as still about 40 or 45 percent of what was allocated to them, that tells you that fear is a real entity here and misconception of what these vaccines can do. Yeah, these are emergency youth authorization vaccines that have not gone through that normal FDA five to 10 year program to develop a vaccine. I trust the vaccine. I've had the vaccine. I was vaccinated on New Year's Eve. I figured I'm gonna go out of COVID-19. <laughs> Where you need to go? Kill it. So I think the more people that we vaccinate realize that your ear's not gonna fall off. You're not gonna grow a third arm, okay? Or I hope it makes hair grow, but I'm not so sure. <laughs> Chris, you and I get in line. Might not be so bad, right? <laughs> so does I think, Todd. <laughs> I think what we need to do is those in leadership, both in the health community, as well as county leaders, church leaders, we need to get them vaccinated and they can show their constituents, their parishioners, mm -hmm. that, hey, we all need to do this. We all need to do this together. We're all in this together. This is not political, folks. It's been too politicized up to this point in time, in my opinion. Does that answer the question? Uh, it may answer my question. I don't think it solves the problem, but no, we'll it see. doesn't solve the problem <laughs> because you can't mandate it. I understand that, but it really is key that we get the younger people well, doing this thing. As a, had community, a as a community as responsibility, what, what happened to me is that we offered it to them. And I think that at some point we've got to say this is a community obligation. We can't open the schools with confidence. We can't send our police out with confidence if we can't get our community up to herd level. And we're not going to do it when we got under 30% of the younger people accepting the vaccine which is where we are. It's not good. So, so Doc, on the numbers side, so if, correct me if I'm wrong, because this will lead to my question, I guess. Um, with the original numbers from Maryland, uh, if I'm remembering right, is that we were going to be given or distributing 70,000 vaccines a week. Was that the original goal? Is, it, is that the, what I remember 74. hearing? What? We are, the state gets 10,000 doses, I believe, a day. Right, so that's where the 70,000 came from. That was the 70,000. Right now, and I believe the governor addressed that this morning in his press conference, we're vaccinating probably close to 14 to 15,000 a day. So, okay. so even at the 10, so if we used a 10 a day, and, and I just ran it, 80% of the people in the state of Maryland got vaccinated, it'll till, still take for the first dose 5.7 years, because it's roughly, it's 85 weeks if we did everybody. No, just okay. seven years. So, I mean, there is no way we can do what we need to do with 10,000 a day. Right. That's, that's, I guess that's my point is we're, we're in, what are we getting any indication of when we're going to hit that line? Because I would guess, so to get it down to roughly just two years, we'd have to be doing almost, I think I figured out like 61,000 a day just to get it he, down. Realistically, what we're looking at, if Moderna can do it, is 100,000 doses a day. Okay. So that's even more than what I'm thinking. And move it. Yeah. Queen Anne's County, if you take the population of roughly 50,000 and you remove the kids and those that don't want it and just assume. That's why I said 80%. That's why I'm thinking. Well, I'm saying 80%. I would go 
it still leaves you with, uh, I think we figured it out to take some, five months at 500 shots a day, five days a week. It would take five months to do two shots. Yeah, no, we have worked it out. And yeah. Yes, it We're is ready 500 to do, a day. We're ready to do 500 to right. 600 a day right. if they give me the vaccine. But the only thing and, that's, that's stolen Queens is County population, supply. If the population accepts it. Right. I mean, we can be there with right. all, all, the, all the staff, mm -hmm. all the vaccine, but if people don't want it, mm -hmm. we can't force it. Right. What we have to do is show an example that, yeah, we're fine, nothing happened, and we, we need it as a community, folks. I don't think you're going to have a problem with 65s and older. I think they're ready. I don't think we are either. They're, they're, they're pounding at the door. But to your point, 50%, Doc's already saying we got to get no, 75 to 80 to get We just use that immunity. as an example. Right. But I'm just saying to get to herd immunity where we would actually be safe from it, at 80%, that's a still, that's... At all. It's not but just for community. It's and, and, ha and how does that work with the more urban areas? If they have more outbreaks, there's probably going to be more vaccines, obviously, pushed that way. You know what I mean? Vaccine, They're going to play a numbers game with it. They got to. Well, vaccine allocation right now is by partly by a base unit of vaccine that they formulated for us from MDH and the feds and based on population. Right. I mean, we're getting a little bit more than some of the other jurisdictions in the Eastern Shore. Because of. Much. Because of our age? Population, okay. not age. Just population. Because if you go by age, Talbot and Kent have much I think more 65 when Johnson gets approved, the stream is going to pick it, up a it, lot. It seems to me that it would make sense that if you could take the smaller communities like Queen Anne's County and, and vaccinate them, now you have an entire area that has been, been vaccinated and the, the value there has got to be everybody in the community with, within the borders of our county. If you could get 80% of them vaccinated, you're in great shape. Well, I think some the other smaller... counties might have some, uh, something to say about that. Well, but if you look at, uh, like you said, emergency services and everyone else, only 30%. 30%, yeah, that's I mean, low. And those are the people that live it. Yeah. You know, and you I, look at hospital Nurses staff. in my wife's hospital are, can't get up to 30% amongst the nurses. Unbelievable. So why, why do you think that is, Doc? Honestly, why, why would nurses not be? I mean, I don't know. Because I mean, we would, live in a day and age where nobody trusts anything that comes from the government. I was going to say, it's a question of fear. Anything that comes from anywhere. Now, the childbearing age, childbearing age, there is some questions about pregnancy. There is questions about taking it if you are pregnant and if you're anticipating on getting pregnant because they don't know enough about this vaccine. So I have no, I don't have any qualms about them saying, I don't want it. Mm -hmm. I understand that. But and that's are, up to their OB and their GYN. Right, but that's a small percentage a of the small ones that have not. Of what these are young guys that are not coming in. So, I mean, we got 20%. Uh, we made it very clear. It was bold on today's push out. Day and to, or tomorrow and Friday for the right. A1s, this is your last chance to be first in line. Right. After that, go to the back of the line. Mm -hmm. Good. And still get vaccinated. Once we have, you know, once we move through 1A, they can still come in. But I've got so to you get... anticipate that next week you'll be in the 65 and older. Yes. Very good. So, and, and educators. 65. Mm -hmm. And our educators. Yep. Okay. Until the governor tells me I can't. Because he's already said he didn't want us moving into 1B. But I, what's the sense in holding vaccine? Right. Finish 1A. If I can't fill it, 
vaccination clinic, I need to move on. Mm -hmm. and I'm moving on. Mm -hmm. yeah, because you'll just backfill, obviously you'll backfill the other people that may have been A's, B's, or C's. I mean, well, you once you pass by them, they can always come back in. They right? can always come back in. Right. And that link is open, that clinic is there. We're not turning people away. Okay. Agree. 100% agree. Yep, keep moving. We, we need else? more arms and more vaccines, so, and the arms is something that the people in Queens County can do something Talked about. Talked about staff and saying if we needed money, we're fine. We've got what we need, we can roll right now. But when we go to seven days a week, I'll be coming asking for some money. We'll give it to you. Because we'll have to hire more contracted staff and agency staff. <laughs> if you can find them. We'll find them. Okay. And the plan is to move to North County, and we're checking out Sudlersville Fire Department. I will be talking to Billy Faust and the chief up there about using their hall to start moving up. But I, I need to get the assisted livings done with the mobile teams before I can really start shifting. How about the senior center up there in, at Foxtown? Uh, the adjacent senior center is not being, I mean, it's vacant right now. Well, we're going we're gonna to do it right in Foxtown. So the, okay. when they're up doing the cruise up there, they're going to take a look at the firehouse in their hall because you have to be six feet distancing when you're doing all of the vaccination. You've got to have a large enough area that the people that you vaccinated have to sit for 10 to 15 minutes at a six-foot interval and be observed and make sure that there's no adverse reaction. And I want to sort of highlight that so people who are concerned about getting the vaccine, when you go into the vaccine clinic, after the vaccine is administered to you, you're sitting there six feet apart from the people who've just been vaccinated. There's medical professionals who are there to monitor everybody. So far, nobody has had a bad reaction, but you will be monitored. And then each day, you get a message by text. How are you feeling? Do you have these symptoms? Everything is being monitored. There is a lot of science going behind monitoring this, the safeness of this. Not, we're not just jabbing someone in the arm and you're sending them along. So I want people to know that, I mean, since we've been doing this, we've had no bad outcomes out of this. So it, it is safe. It's important that you go out there and get it. And the only one we had any issue with was a young 20-year-old who got a little vasovagal after a shot. You did what? But Vase of Vega you can get from, you know, eye drops or something. Uh, yeah, yeah, you can look right. at a drop of blood and say, oh, I'm going to feel I'm going to go out. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. that was the only sort of like thing. a panic attack. That, <laughs> so, yeah, a little yeah. bottle of water and his feet up on a chair and it's not fine. That go. was the extent of anything. Well, while we're on the subject, Todd, what I would like, I want to actually make a motion. Um, the, the, the clergy is not in category 1A or 1B. That's really the way it's been interpreted. Maybe they're in the general population. Um, administering to someone's spiritual health is just as important as their mental health. And you got clergy who's going and dealing with families who their loved ones have COVID or they're administering last rites. And I would like for the commissioners to send a letter to the governor asking them to um, reevaluate how they look at the category so that the clergy is in 1A so that they can get their vaccines now. It's very important, I think, that they have that. So I that's agree. my motion. So, so formulate a motion. Uh, well, and I'd like to add to that because I've been reached out to is about the people that are handling the dead bodies and funerals and morticians and everybody else. reached out. It's already been but, Okay. So I, I move that we send a letter to the governor um, asking that the clergy be uh, moved into category 1A. Second. Motion second. Any discussion on that? Agree with you 100%. I've had a couple of clergy reach out to me, and I told them to do just that, write letters to the governor. But uh, 
sounds like in Queen Anne's County they can get in there on Monday anyways. So <laughs> maybe that's Friday. A, that's a good thing. Maybe yeah. Friday. So we got a, a motion and a second. All those in favor? Aye. 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 Anything else, gentlemen? No, thank you for all you're doing. Outstanding. Thank you. All right, thank you, Dr. Ciotola. Appreciate that very much. Good presentation. Okay, next up we have Amber Wright, Teacher of the Year. Yeah, come on up. Yeah, sure. We have some goodies up here in the front I'm as well. Good to see you. All right. <laughs> I'll go ahead and read the proclamation. Sure, we have a proclamation. Yep. Okay. This is uh, Proclamation 21 04. Whereas Amber Wright, dance teacher at Kent Island High School, is currently in her 26th year of teaching. And whereas Amber Wright began her career at Graysonville Elementary School before becoming the certificate, certification specialist for Queen Anne's County Public Schools while cumulatively her burning desire to teach dance. Whereas Amber Wright became a dance teacher utilizing her talents acquired through the dance program at Salisbury University, the DeShield School of Dance, and many theatrical productions at the Chesapeake Music Hall and the Burn Bray Dinner Theater. Whereas Amber Wright entered the doors of Catalina High School and continues to inspire the dance students and serve as the leader of the Performing Arts Department. And whereas Amber Wright continues to be an active participant in the Catalina High School equity team, the school improvement team, and serves as the multicultural liaison in addition to promoting the wonderful opportunities with Queen Anne's County Public Schools as she serves as a recruiter for future colleges. And whereas Amber Wright is the extremely proud mother of son Andrew and is the beloved daughter of Mr. George and Reverend Bernadette Wright. And whereas Amber Wright continues to spread positivity, motivation, and encouragement to all that surround her due to her unmatched passion for education. Now, therefore, we, the commissioners of Queen Anne's County, do hereby recognize Ms. Amber Wright for her dedication to her talent, her students, and her co-workers, and for being named the 2021 to 20, uh, sorry, 2020 to 2021 Teacher of the Year. Deserved. Yeah. And I understand that Commissioner Dumina was your student uh, a few years ago. If she if she can teach me to dance, <laughs> uh, she can teach anybody. Please don't do that again. <laughs> if you all would like to see some of the moves she taught me, I, yeah, no, that's okay. <laughs> Not gonna happen. No, well, thank you very much. Yep. Uh, and I guess she can leave those here and oh yeah, and we'll yeah. deliver them. That's right. Can. If you just take the gift cards that, that's in the envelope, and I'll make sure that you get the two speakers. You're more than welcome. Thank you. They watch it. Yep. Be careful. Yeah, that's the Thank you. Thank you. All right. All right. Thanks very much. Congratulations. Congratulations. Thank you.
Well done. All right, commissioners, for our feature presentation tonight, we have an update from Compass Regional uh, Support Center. Um, oh, yeah. oh, yeah, sure. That'll be great. Hi, good evening. Thank you for having me. I'm Heather Guerreri, CEO of Compass, no longer regional hospice, but Compass. Um, and so you'll see over here at the PowerPoint presentation that I've done for this evening, one of the reasons I wanted to come and update um, the commissioners and the county um, through the television is of our new branding. Um, and we changed from Hospice of Queen Anne's to Compass Regional Hospice in 2014. And since then, we have grown to having about 100 employees in Queen Anne's County, about 100 patients on our census a day. We have um, expanded our facility here in Centerville from a six bed to a 10 bed. We've gone from just residential care there to general inpatient, and all the while through COVID, we've been under construction um, the entire time and are just completing that. So I thought it was a great time, even during COVID and all of our challenges, to come and update you all on our new branding, make sure that everybody is aware that we are the same organization. We've just changed our branding to a better suit. Um, how we feel uh, we want to be represented within the county and, and, and Caroline County as we serve them as well. So again, uh, just to reiterate, Compass, the rebranding really is because we don't want to just be known as a hospice organization within the county. We, we have different service lines. We have hospice, obviously end of life care. We also have supportive care, which is palliative care um, for people to be able to stay at home instead of going back and forth to the hospital. They might not be quite ready for hospice services, undergoing aggressive treatment, but want to be able to stay at home and not continue to be admitted into the hospital. So we come alongside of them so that they're able to do that. Um, and also we have our grief services. And I know I've talked about our grief services over the years many times to you all and other commissioners as well. Um, but our grief services um, are way more than what we have to offer as a hospice organization. We offer grief services to anybody within the county who has experienced a loss. And I'll go into some more detail about that in another slide. I think we pretty much touched on this rebranding, um, but again, we're trying to evolve as an organization, as a nonprofit, one of the largest in Queen Anne's County, um, to make sure that we are meeting the ever-changing needs of our community and the populations we serve. Our mission is to offer comprehensive, professional, and compassionate care and support to patients, caregivers, and families who have found themselves facing a life-limiting diagnosis or loss. And most recently, we've changed our vision um, to positively transform the way our communities experience serious illness and end of life. Just a couple stats, because I know everybody likes numbers. <laughs> most people, um, it kind of tells the picture. Uh, a total number of patients that we have served in 2020 was 619 patients. And on average in 2020, we were taking care of about 97 patients a day, whether that's in one of our facilities, a nursing home, an assisted living, or their own private residence. And there's just a breakdown. As you can see, we serve a lot more uh, people in Queen Anne's County than we do in the other counties that we serve, 278. 
This is our stats by uh, patient age. Um, you'll see that a lot of people think of hospice as cancer or uh, for people who are um, up there in age, um, if you will. And you can see that we care for patients, we care for pediatric patients, um, we care for patients that are 18 to 64, but the majority of the patients that we do serve are 75 years and older. And then there's a breakdown of the ethnicities that we serve. This just goes into detail about some of the statistics in regards to our grief services that I mentioned before. Um, we did 755 counseling um, sessions in 2020. Um, those are face-to-face -face counseling sessions as well as we do um, support um, groups. We do a perinatal infant loss um, counseling, children's bereavement support camp, um, loss due to suicide counseling, uh, we are in all the school systems, uh, not only this county, but other counties. Um, in Queen Anne's County, um, we serve 38 students. Um, we have a remembrance ceremony, and then we have been doing a lot of virtual support groups and um, Zoom um, <coughs> things with um, families um, of patients that have had a loss through this difficult time because some people have felt um, leery about coming into our facility for counseling. And then we do community education through workshops and we've been doing a lot of that by Zoom as well. So just some strategies that I wanted to just focus on to let you all know that what we've been doing during COVID is we were able to implement a telehealth application for the first time. Uh, under hospice regulation, we were never able to do any telehealth or bill for that and get paid. They relaxed that regulation through Medicare during the um, pandemic, and we have been able to do um, our visits and be paid for them through telehealth. We've obviously been doing face-to-face -face visits in patients' homes the whole time. Nursing homes have been a little bit different for us. We've done a lot of telehealth in nursing homes because of the number of um, outbreaks that have occurred in nursing homes and how strict they have had to be about visitors. Hey, real quick, why would, why would that be? I mean, because Medicare pays for telehealth, another thing, why would hospice have been kind of carved out of that? That doesn't make I, sense, right? I know, and I tell you, it's it's regulation takes a long time to change as people know yeah. and though they've recognized it through like physician offices and other venues they had not in in hospice as of yet so we are hoping as an industry that um, we're able to show the value of that not just doing telehealth but it's certainly nice when uh, the patient is at home with a caregiver 24 7 and instead of just having a phone call with the nurse to help with symptom management that they're able to be able to see each other through the telehealth application. So we're hoping that um, as an industry, we can um, have that stick. Just become permanent after the Yeah, period. after, after COVID, so. yeah. Whenever that will be, right? <laughs> post-COVID. Um, we also um, implemented remote working. Um, it used to be that everybody came into the office. We bought the building, uh, you all know, uh, at um, 160 Course Fall here in Centerville. Um, that is oftentimes does not have very many people in it anymore because we have uh, been able through grants um, and other avenues been able to provide laptops um, to our staff so that they're able to stay home 
um, a lot of the time. And what we do is we rotate people being in, in the offices um, or in our facilities so that we can try to um, do our due diligence as an organization to keep the spread down. Um, also, we were uh, fortunate enough to be able to apply and get a PPP loan. Um, and we also were granted some Medicare monies um, to help. So that did drastically help um, our organization um, throughout this um, pandemic for sure. Obviously, in these situations, your fundraising efforts in the past have always just been amazing events and, and successful. Uh, obviously, the situation with COVID, how dramatic has that affected your fundraising capabilities? Uh, well, that, that's a great question, and that's actually next on my list there. Oh, okay. We have had to cancel in-person events, obviously. Um, we did get in our golf tournament in Queen Anne's County um, at, before COVID, um, and that was a huge success. We actually raised more funds in that golf tournament than we have in about 25 years of a golf tournament. Um, so that was a plus. Our gala, obviously, was canceled. Um, our Festival of Trees. Uh, was canceled and other things. Our camp, which was devastating for us to have to do after 28 years of providing a bereavement camp to kids, that we had to cancel that. Um, but I have to say that the community has really stepped up for our organization even through this. Um, we have lost revenue in that aspect, but through the Medicare monies, one of the things that they are looking at um, as an organization is all the ways that you were not able to raise funds because of the pandemic, and that is one of them. Okay. So we were able to uh, offset some of our losses that way. But as a general public, um, the individual donations have really people have really been very generous through this and we so appreciate it. Um, and again, as I said earlier, we continued construction through the entire um, pandemic with patients in the facility. It was already a little bit challenging enough without the pandemic to have patients in a facility that was under construction, but we didn't want to completely shut our facility down and not have any beds for, for our county residents. Um, but I'm happy to say that I will show you some pictures. Um, our construction is 99% done. There's a few things that we are doing this week uh, to finish up, and I have a final walkthrough with the um, contractors tomorrow afternoon. And we've never stopped serving our community, as I've said, through the telehealth application, through in-person, through Zoom, and other creative ways that we've been able to reach out to people. And the, these next slides are just a few of the slides um, from our renovations. This is the exterior of the building now. Uh, again, we've expanded to 10 private guest rooms, uh, walkways and gardens, which we didn't have a lot of before, so people can enjoy the outdoors um, when they're visiting. <clears throat> a commercial kitchen, uh, renovated common areas, and we increased visitor parking, because if you all had been there before, there was definitely not enough parking for, for visitors. <clears throat> We also, as you'll see, have called uh, or named, we didn't, but a, a very generous donor um, asked us to name the center after Mildred Barnett, who was our founding director uh, for Hospice of Queen Anne's um, 
in the 80s. So it is now called the Barnett Center. That's one of the uh, new patient rooms. Another one of the family areas. Bathroom, a commercial kitchen, chapel area. This is just the hallways. I know for people who have been in our facility before, it looks very, very different now. Um, opened up, brighter, um, so. And that's it. Very good. Excellent. Do you all have any additional questions for me? All I can say is keep up the great work. Thank you. Yeah. And I, ha I have to say that um, we have had four COVID positive um, between um, CNAs, nurses, social workers, all of our staff out of 100 <clears throat> over the time. Dr. C would like to hear that. That's way below the positivity rate. So. <laughs> uh, we, we Actually, no. Because right. if we have 71, for a hundred thousand, no, right. they're way up. Four. <laughs> well, if she did, if it was over six months, it's not that bad then, right? Oh yeah, okay. and, and that's tell, true. You know I'll what I mean? Tell you, so. most re it's been most recent that we've, we've really? seen. For, for the longest time, we felt so proud because we were like, we're doing everything right, and nobody's, you know, been positive, and uh, then it, it then it hit, like everybody else. <laughs> oh yeah. Even yep. if they're well, thank you very much. Well, thank you all for your Appreciate time, too. It. I'm going to wipe this down before I go. Hope everybody has a great evening. Thanks, Heather. Good to see you, as always. Thank you. Mm -hmm. you, you can just leave it right there. It's fine. Thanks. Right, commissioners, that concludes our presentations for this evening. We do have one item under legislation, so if you want to flip to tab number seven. And this is County Ordinance 21-01, the Public Facilities Bond Authorization for 2021, and that is for introduction. I will introduce that. Commissioner Wilson. Introducing Thank you. All right. And that's all we had, so we can go to our second press and public comment period. And I'll ask Bruce, do we have any? Yeah, we have two emails that came in. Got mom here. Yeah, she's just listening. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, our first email comes from Dawn Sweeney. She attached a picture that was very much similar to uh, many of the graphs that we saw from Dr. Ciotola's uh, presentation. She says, look at these numbers. No, really look at them. How can we have numbers this high of COVID-19 in our community and three people at the BOE get to decide if we have in-person school? This is one of the most irresponsible decisions by our community I've ever seen. Commissioners need to step up and step in to make sure our community is safe. We are losing great teachers, and for three people recently voted to the BOE to make a decision like this without considering the data science and safety of our schools is insane. I ask you to please consider options to help override these reckless decisions made by our BOE. Our school systems are not in a position to begin hybrid. We are lacking the staff, the space, and the vaccines. Supply both vaccines for our school staff, and then implement the plan to go back to hybrid. I hope you will consider these concerns. Thank you. Our second email comes from Anne Nice. Hello, commissioners. I'm quickly writing to you to ask for your help. Our Board of Ed members have seemingly lost sight of our seriousness and the severity of this pandemic. Even though our county's positivity rate is as of today, 112-21, the fourth worst in the entire state of Maryland, they voted in a three to two vote to send teachers and students back into the building beginning in two weeks. This is to say at the very least irresponsible. 
Our teachers have yet to be vaccinated. There are approximately 46 vacant positions in our school system. Therefore, not only is it dangerous to begin face-to-face -face instruction, it is also impossible. Even with all of these facts presented to them, Mr. Schifanelli, Ms. Bennett, and Mr. Smith all seemingly didn't care. They dismissed all of these concerns and voted to open. They did so without the, cons the consolation of Dr. Ciatola or any other medical professionals. I am writing to beg you to do whatever you can to help overturn this decision. Please help protect the health and well-being of the citizens of your county. Thank you for taking the time to read this. That's all we have. Okay. Close press and public comment. Yeah, yeah I'll go first. Um, so first, I guess to comment on that, and again, I missed bits and pieces of the Board of Ed meeting, but I thought that there was some stipulation in there that if the metrics were out of whack compared to what the state had recommended, that they would reconsider. I, I may be wrong. I don't know. But anyway, I digress from that. Um, the, uh, so th tonight, I'm going to bore you all because we're uh, one day away from our General Assembly getting together in Annapolis whether virtually or however they're actually going to do it down there. Um, it's, it's, sadly, it's kind of a disservice to the average citizens in the state of Maryland because in-person testimony will not happen. You will sign up. Uh, you may be on a three-hour waiting list to test, you know, testify on some of the more uh, contentious bills. Um, so uh, as I'm sure we all remember, uh, we had Bruce Barriano in here a month and a half ago, two months, and you know he kind of tried to give us the lay of the land that you know, they thought they were going to see in Annapolis. Unfortunately, it is 180 degree different than what Bruce had anticipated. Um, when he was in here, he had kind of hinted that uh, there was some agreement amongst a lot of the legislators that they weren't going to overwhelm the books with new legislation because of the lack of public participation uh, to be available. Um, unfortunately, in, in typical years, we get 100 pre-filed bills. This year, as of the gavel dropping tomorrow, it's going to be close to 1,000. Um, so what that means is there's 1,000 bills that they're going to start uh, committee hearings on tomorrow. Um, so myself and, and Commissioner Corcorino had the privilege of sitting on a what was going to be a one-hour uh, Maryland Association of Counties meeting yesterday turned into two and a half hours because in that glut of bills, ones that affect the county at, at, at county level, we had 70 to review. Um, and, and just to give you an example, typically on any given week at MAKO, we may review 20. Uh, on, and that's in the heat of the session. And, and Commissioner Moran and, and uh, Phil, you've been down there. You say, so it's really going to be overwhelming. Um, I, I'm a little disappointed that the legislators, uh, I guess, for lack of a better term, they, they want to get stuff in so they can get it through quickly. It, you know, without public input, it's just, it, to me, it's ridiculous. And I think every citizen should feel that this is just a ridiculous thing to do. Um, we're in the middle of this pandemic. Um, so I just want to highlight a couple of the things that uh, came out of it that we have just in week one. And I'm going to keep a running tally as we go and where some of these things go. So obviously the number one issue or the number one thing in Annapolis is going to be the Kerwin bill. Um, for those that don't know it, the governor did veto it uh, in the midst of the pandemic. Um, looking at the financial downturn the state was probably going to face. Uh, he just felt that it was fiscally not responsible to move forward with a lot of the stuff within Kerwin. So a lot of the conversation around that has been since, um, yes, a lot of counties are going to be hurting on the revenue side. Uh, will they be able to uh, afford what uh, some of those increases may look like? 
right now the sentiment in Annapolis is there's going to be a, I guess, ceremonial overturn of the governor's veto, but then they're actually going to sit down at the table and realize that this can't happen in the form that it was passed in, and they will um, probably have to either extend the phase-in of it or change some of the programs altogether, which we had a really great conversation about this yesterday because a lot of the conversation wrapped around the fact that we've learned things in COVID through education, some things that may work for the future that are less expensive alternatives to the way we're doing things now. So there, you know, there's going to be a give and take on a lot of that stuff um, in terms of what education may look like and how some of the things that came out of Kerwin may actually change um, because of COVID. So who would have thought that? But one of the things that all the counties face, and ours is one of them, um, is that we have a 5% decrease in our student enrollment this year, which to give you the quick reader's digest means that technically under the state funding formulas, 5% less, which I think in our case about 330 students, would technically mean $2.5 million less to the school systems based on the formulas. And these are the formulas that have been carried over since Thornton started in 2002. Obviously, that's probably not going to be the case. The state will probably step in to fill, backfill that money that we're going to be voided um, from the uh, lack of students in the schools. Um, so that's, that's the big one, obviously, Kerwin, because that, that has a lot to do with uh, all the counties and affecting their budgets. Sadly, there's probably not going to be nothing done with it until we're already midway through or three-quarters of the way through our budget. Um, so there's going to be a lot of unanswered questions even as we budget into next year. Um, the second is the school facilities money. So last year they passed a kind of an omnibus bill about how they were going to fund schools going forward uh, for the next 10 years, uh, bricks and mortar side. Well, obviously COVID has made everybody step back and look at that. Some of the successes and failures with virtual learning, do we need schools that can hold, you know, every kid in every class and all that stuff? So that again, they're going to probably look at a lot of that. Doesn't affect us too much because we really didn't have any school, large school construction projects in the near future. Um, we were looking at one, I guess, at Centerville Middle School, but other than that, not a big thing for us, but some of the other counties it definitely affects. Um, they were going to cut community colleges. So this is one that I have a problem with because uh, the community colleges are our local colleges for our kids. And with COVID, a lot of people stayed home. There wasn't, a, you know, so they, the community colleges actually did a great job of backfilling um, some of the kids that were. Uh, sent home from four-year universities so that they could continue their studies and things like that. So this is one that everybody should be concerned about. We really need to support our community colleges right now. There, a lot of them are transitioning into offering trade programs uh, for kids, alternative career paths, and now is not the time to be cutting money from that. So that's one everybody should keep an eye on. Um, the other big thing that's going to be in this session, uh, like it or hate it, is it's police reform. There are already, we saw 11 police reform bills in just the packet we went through yesterday. So that's going to be a hot topic. Um, interesting enough for at least the rural counties, the septic systems and how they're going to, uh, I guess, uh, inspect them and some other so some added costs there that actually are going to come back to cost the county money if we have to enforce some of this stuff. Hopefully that doesn't go anywhere, but it is out there. Uh, sixth one was, so we had rural broadband earlier, and we took advantage of that one program that we really like, which is through the state. Well, now there's a bill in, and, this, and, and 
what it's going to do is it wants to form basically what we've done here locally, a uh, broadband advisory committee, but at the state level who will give out money, much as the governor's office of rural broadband has done for the last two years and has done a fantastic job. We've been recipients of over 300,000 um, and we've gotten quite a few homes hooked up by using that money. My concern is if it goes into that pool of money and it's more of a statewide thing, how the rural counties may not fare. Right now it's designated for rural areas. I'd hate to see that money get put into a much bigger pot where it could be siphoned off to maybe some areas that don't really need it. Um, so that, that was my big concern with that. Um, the other one that came up, and again, this is an interesting one, um, it ties to education to some extent, is a progressive tax. Um, this is one. It doesn't sound very progressive. It, no. <laughs> so, so what it did is that the bill's in, and it's got a lot of support in Annapolis. Apparently, it made it pretty far last year, but uh, I guess because they closed down session, it didn't make it through. But it is to take the cap off of the piggyback tax um, and create tax brackets within your counties through the local income tax. Now. The bill, I think, reads that the cap would, the highest cap would be 3.8. So, yeah. But for education purposes and for disparity grants, it would still be capped at 3.2. So the thinking behind this is for uh, some counties who can't close their budget gaps and can't make their educational uh, funding work, basically that 0.6% they could raise your local income taxes would go to offset other costs that they're trying to move money over to education so they can meet the education needs. It's, I, I, it's nothing that Queen Anne's County would, I, we wouldn't even proffer anything like that because it just doesn't make any sense here. You know what I mean? But I guess for some of these counties that are, are taxed, because we have a couple tax cap counties, I guess this is a way for them to get around it. Uh, not a big fan of, of opening up that Pandora's box with raising the local income tax because once they get their foot in the door and they're able to do it and they call it, it's going to be, uh, it's enabling right now that the counties could do it. It doesn't, that's one step away from, okay, we're going to do it. So, I, you know, that's, that's one everybody should keep an eye on because that's going to affect every, everybody across the board. Um, and I think that's it for just yesterday. So I think there's going to be, like I said, um, a lot more. I think they've already got 52 for next week's schedule. So it's going to be a busy session. Um, hopefully a lot of this just dies and we don't just get inundated with a bunch of crazy bills that people don't get an opportunity to speak on. So. How are you guys handling your meetings? Virtual? We're, yeah, we're doing virtual, which, yeah, so we had the challenges of, uh, oh boy. well, and you know, that was one of the things, because Steve made the comment earlier, and I couldn't agree more with him about the, 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 the public meetings aren't, they're not as effective. You no. made the comment, people yeah. don't talk. And, and it kind of, and Chris, you backed me up, it was kind of that way for the first probably 45 minutes yesterday. I mean, we're just rolling through things. There was, and normally, and you've been to legislative committee meetings, there's a lot of banter with a lot of this yeah. stuff when it, you know, when it hits That's home with this county, but not this case. You know, people go back and forth, but it's, again, it's just. And sometimes it's because their screen is frozen and they're not. Yeah, they're, they're they trying to talk, them. but they can't talk because it's just a face with a, you know, and there's no volume, you know, so it, it's a challenge. And I mean, we had 71 people on the yeah. call yesterday, so, and they're trying to limit it just to the county electeds, but yeah. a lot of people have staff from Baltimore City and things like that that are on there just to get the background info, so. It's going to be a challenge, but um, you know, hopefully MAKO is, is our best bet as the counties right now because they do have the ability to be down there and, and get in the ears of all the legislators. So that's who we're going to really have to push and our, obviously our own lobbyists, but it's going to be a bumpy ride, I have a feeling. Um, and I didn't even talk about the tax increases, the other ones that the governor had vetoed that are probably going to bring themselves back around again in the 
very uh, in the early parts of the session. So, and I want to thank Dr. C for coming in tonight. He always does a great job. Uh, you know, informing the public. I always get compliments the next day from people when they see me after we've had him in here to talk about what's going on with COVID. And, and you know, uh, they, they don't always like what he has to say, but you know what, at least he's honest with us, he's honest with the public, and that's the best you can hope for in something like mm -hmm. this. So that's it. Bill. Oh, we're just, we're gonna go. We're gonna go around, then I jump right there and come oh, this okay. way. Oh, okay. Okay, so, um, uh, instead of having a whole litany of things because I think the value that that Jack brings and you bring um, because of the unique circumstances in Annapolis and the fact that we can't be in there at listening to the committee meetings and testifying and having to do it you know a, a, a new way and there's there's a tremendous amount of disconnect for I think for our citizens so uh, I appreciate your your efforts to report back to us on some of the legislation that is being proposed that ultimately affects our citizens. This is probably a great way uh, for us to communicate to the folks that are that are watching or, or will be watching in the next few days. Um, so uh, keep up that, that great work there, Jack and Chris. Um, the I think it's important um, and to reiterate the message that Dr. Ciotola shared with us this evening is folks, when you have the opportunity, get the vaccination. Uh, we've got to get to that 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 magic percentage number where we can put a halt to the to the positive cases that take place here in our county any additional time that i have i defer back to uh commissioner uh jack wilson for his time that he spent in sharing these legislative issues with us i'm done commissioner wilson oh well I'd like to uh, remark on the great sadness this county should feel over the death two days ago of uh, the guy that really brought the uh, emergency team up to speed over the period preceding two terms of commissioners ago, John Chu, who was a great friend of the county and even as recently as this week has been helping, uh, helping the county talking with Dr. Ciotola and Scott Haas and myself. I cannot tell the public the number of calls that we have exchanged back and forth, not only with you, but trying to get this vaccine out and make sure that a number of issues get solved. And let me bring up a couple of them. That shooting this many, giving this many injections over six months is at 500 a day takes a staff of probably six or eight or nine people that we don't have extra people to accomplish so that we have been able to handle the number of people that came in now because the vaccine's been pretty limited but the minute that number doubles and we have to keep this effort up month after month for six months we do not want to depreciate our very good ambulance and emergency services or our health department and getting that team up together so that we can keep this up for months and months without running our own services. We, we have to maintain the great service Queen Anne County has on the emergency side and we will do it. So that has required a lot of calls and John was helpful and then right in the middle of this completely unexpectedly had a heart attack and died and it was a great sadness to all of us so god bless john that's it thank you mr moran sir okay so 
Uh, first off, Todd, I'd like to know if you could double check and see how many of the bills that we were talking about for the legislation got pre-filed. You know, we had a lot for the liquor and some of the other ones. Just want to see where they sit uh, with pre-file because, like Jack said, there's a thousand this year that were pre-filed. That is a whew, that's a mountain of paperwork. So I don't envy you guys for that. Uh, second off, I, I'd like to say uh, uh, a farewell to uh, John Seaman, our our finance officer has retired and moving on to calmer waters. Uh, you know, he, he was here for 10 years and he did uh, guide this county from a, I think we had a guarded uh, uh, rating. We were on a watch. We were on a watch. We were on a watch and all the way up to two AAA. So uh, I wish him the best. And uh, lastly, because I'll keep it short, uh, you know, the events that took place uh, almost a week ago down at the nation's capital. Uh, we are all registered Republicans up here, and I can say with a pretty good confidence that uh, none of us condone that. Uh, it's a shame that, you know, uh, those groups that, that uh, you know, broke into the Capitol uh, did it. I mean, I just think that... Uh, you know, I, I prided ourselves as, as Republicans and not stooping to those kind of antics and burning and pillaging and plundering and lo and behold, it happens. So, you know, uh, I just, you know, it, it breaks my heart as a, as a veteran and as somebody that's given 12 years of my life to government because none of us up here are getting rich, uh, unlike what happens in Washington, D.C. So I would just like to say to the public, uh, you know, county government is, has the greatest impact on your life. And the five of us that sit up here right now, that is our number one priority. Uh, be it COVID, be it taxes, be it our schools. You know, we, you know our job is, is to make decisions to better the quality of everyone's life in Queen Anne's County. And that doesn't matter, Democrat or Republican. And you know, uh, we all live here. It's a great place to live. Financially, Queen Anne's County's in great shape. Uh, and I just want to say that uh, those antics that went on down there, uh, you know, I, I regret that. But I regret that just as much as I do what I saw in Seattle and cities burning in Minnesota and everywhere else. So, you know, uh, I don't know how we get back to a, 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 a time where there's compromise and there's compassion, because right now there isn't. Uh, I would love to see term limits in Washington, D.C., but who knows? But with that being said, I will uh, reiterate what Commissioner Dumanel said, get the shot. Everybody sign up for the shot. Uh, my wife's a nurse, she got the shot. I got the shot. Uh, here I am, uh, nothing's falling off and nothing's growing where it shouldn't be, so. <laughs> so please, you know, sign up. I mean, I'm glad to see Dr. Seattle tonight came in and told us everyone over 65, get out there. It's, it's, we're pushing it out over social media. Sign up, put your name on there, so we have a way to contact you and tell you when and where to get your shot. And uh, you know, the sooner we can get these shots and the sooner we build these numbers up, the sooner the, you know, we'll, we'll turn back to some normalcy and, and be able to enjoy life. And uh, the last I'll say is on the Board of Education, I don't know what we as commissioners could do uh, with that. So. You know, that's, that's something that uh, I, I hope that uh, works out well. 
for our students and our teachers. So, you know, I'm going to leave that at that. All right, boss. I'd like to make one more remark. It, it's, sure. come to, it's come to our attention over here that we put out the announcement one half hour ago that it was people should begin to sign up. And in the first 20 minutes, we've had 422 sign-ups. Oh, yeah. Excellent. But I'll tell you that the thing we... Outstanding. Um, we're dealing with seniors here, and the sign-up rate is very good with them, and that's not where our problem is. But where we do need to watch our footing here is that uh, we don't want masses of people standing in lines who are very senior in the cold. That needs to get ordered, and we will do that. And it will be according to the sign-ups, and we will try to reach out to people who are not computer accessible to see that this whole thing gets organized. But we don't want lines of old people standing in the cold for hours, and we're going to organize that in some way so that that doesn't happen. So just want to tell you there's a lot of enthusiasm in that senior group to get oh, yeah. done. But anyway, that was my intrusion. And Chris, real quick, so we had a conversation the other day about using the alert system. Is that, is, is, have we talked anymore? We will this? be pushing out in, in many different formats information on the vaccine. People okay. are going to really start seeing a full court press starting with the, the, the release that just went out, and we got a lot more that's coming up. So, anything else? All right, well, I want to uh, congratulate uh, Commissioner Jack. Wilson, on uh, your installation as treasurer of the Maryland Association of Counties Board of Directors for uh, 2021. <laughs> another, an, another job for which he gets to work a lot and gets paid nothing for. So congratulations on adding to your workload. Well, thank you. We're, we're used to it. Yeah. Does your wife, Tracy, know you've done that? <laughs> Shh. She might be watching. What people don't know is, is, is uh, everybody up here does a lot for the county, but Jack is intimately involved with MAKO, as you could tell, for just going through all the bills that he sat through and it's a hugely important thing for especially um, for Queen Anne's County as a small rural county to have that voice on the board it, it really does elevate Queen Anne's County's voice in the state and that does help us uh, when we need help with different things so it's he's a great representative of the county on a state level and we're we're lucky to have him um, <clears throat> So the, the message about, you know, the Board of Education, that, that is a entirely separately elected office. Uh, we do not control. We've had people come and complain to us about the Board of Ed for different things um, throughout the year and other years. We, it's a separate body. It's a separate body politic. It's not us. We don't control them. Um, but what, here's what we are doing. Um, as part of the vaccine rollout, we are making sure that we are getting vaccines out to the school system, getting their nurses trained, showing them uh, where, how the county is conducting its vaccine clinics so that we can get as many vaccines out to the Board of Ed, um, the teachers and the staff, the janitors, the bus drivers, everybody who's going to interact with the kids, that we get the vaccines out to them, um, everybody who's willing to take it. And I would encourage everybody who works for the school system to get the vaccine. Uh, it's going to be sort of, I think it's going to be my new slogan is take a jab, Queens County. So that's, <laughs> that's what they're calling it in, in England. The, the shot is called a jab. So Queens County, go take a jab. This is your chance to do something to help the county. Um, and it's important if you want your kids in school that the numbers get controlled. The vaccine is one way that we can do that. So, and with that, I will entertain a motion to adjourn. I'll make a motion that we adjourn. Second. All right, all in favor? All right. All right. Let's go.